in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Melissa. We're, we're going to dive through a lot of scriptures today, so I don't have a specific one for you to open up, but just have your Bible uh, ready. I, I want to teach you today. I, I want to dive deep. I want to help you through this in a way that I think today is going to be profound if you're ready to receive. But in the abundance, and I'm talking about abundance of crazy that's going on in this world, and the extent to which we look at it, and much of it seems unnecessary. I'm understanding the lockdowns and stay safe, but there's just some things that are like, God, why? Why is this happening? So it compels the thinking person, and I hope you're a thinking person. It compels any person to question, listen to me, the coexistence of a good God with a world full of evil. How does that even happen? I mean, which of us have not looked at the number of deaths and pondered the purpose behind it? How many of us have seen the economy tank? How some of you have lost your job? How some of you have been cut back your hours and, and you've wondered why? Why God? So the first thing that I want you to notice is to live, is to experience pain and suffering. To live is to experience pain and suffering and to understand why is, I mean, we, we ponder that question. We, we have to as believers. So today, the, the why question may look very complicated and it may look like this. If God is all-knowing, then He is aware of everything going on. If God is all-powerful, then He can prevent and correct and stop everything that's going on. And if he is completely loving, then he cares about everyone and everything going on. So with this, why, God, is there suffering in the world? Why aren't you doing anything? And because this world contains so much crazy right now, so much sorrow, so much death, so much evil, with COVID or not COVID, many people can conclude... That God cannot possess all three of these. He may be able to have one out of the three. Maybe even two out of the three. But there is no way that he can have all three. He cannot be completely all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. And just sit back right now while all of this is occurring on a daily basis. And that's a, that's a question to ask. It's without a doubt one of the most honest questions you could ever ask. It's one of the most genuine questions that a, a Christian or even a non-Christian that's tuning in could ask. I mean, how could a loving God, who is in control of all things, allow this to happen? And can I tell you, the Bible does not ignore that question. The Bible is not silent about that question. But it addresses that question with great seriousness. So it's my hope today that we will dig deep. And that I will be able to bring an answer to that question that plagues us all today. So today I want to look at three things. I want to look at what is the history? How did suffering just get into our world? Secondly, I'm going to look at the four reactions that we see in the Bible of all kinds of people 
that have a reaction to suffering. And you're going to find maybe you've reacted this way or maybe your, your friends or your family have acted this way. And then finally towards the end, I'm going to answer the question for you of why all the suffering. Let's pray real quick. Father, open up our minds right now. Help us to ingest this on an intellectual level, on a heart level, and a spiritual level. This is a serious question. Many people before us have asked this question. And you did give answers. Let us find those answers today in Jesus' name. So the first question is simple. How did suffering enter into our world? I don't know about you, but if you've ever opened the Bible and started reading at page 732, you know that when you enter into that story, it's very confusing. Therefore, we have to understand the Bible. It describes the beginning, it describes the middle, and it describes the end of history. Right now, I'm telling you, we are somewhere in the middle of that historical description. Therefore, it makes much more sense if we go to the very beginning and find out how did we get to where we are right now. So in the beginning, we all know that God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, we have to understand that the earth was a perfect place. It was a marvelous place. It was a holy place. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. And in the pinnacle of God's creation, what does he do? He creates man and he creates woman. He creates Adam and he creates Eve. And the Bible says that God made us and you in his image. And one of those things that it means is he created us with an intellect. The high ability to reason things out. He gave us a mind and he said, I want you to be able to make choices. Now that's key. The ability to make a choice. The ability to have free will, which let me tell you, some of our freedoms have been taken away. You don't like it. You wouldn't like God if he didn't give you the freedom to make a choice. But when we understand free will, we can begin to understand suffering. See, in order to, to offer humankind freedom, I'm talking about real freedom, real freedom. God created us with the ability to choose between right and choose between wrong. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17, in the midst of paradise, in the midst of perfection, God said, you know what, you're free to eat of any tree of the garden, but this one right here, don't touch it. It's the tree of good and evil. Do not touch it. Now, what we have to understand about this is, is let, let's think about a, a fish. A fish that is always swimmed in the ocean. A fish can live its entire life without experiencing oxygen, without experiencing air. But the day that fish jumps out of the water, breathes air into its gills, it begins to understand what water really is and what air really is. So understand in the beginning, Adam and Eve only knew one state, holiness, perfection. Everything was very good. Adam and Eve did not need to know the other state, which was evil, corruption, everything bad. But in order to have a free will, 
in order not to be a robot controlled by a God, to have the ability to make choices brought freedom. So God gave them an option every day to choose between a holy thing or an evil thing. He gave them that option. Understand with me this. Evil was not God's choice for them. Evil is not God's choice for you. And keep in mind, God did not create evil. What God created was the potential for our free will to be tested. If they would have chose the holy option, they would have been confirmed in their holiness and we would have all lived in paradise. But guess what? They chose the off-limit option. And we all know that. We're all experiencing that. We're experiencing the off-limit option. Just like the fish jumping out of the water, from that day forward, Adam and Eve, they not only knew what holiness was, but now they had experienced what evil is. And if you're a thinking person, you'd be asking this right now. Why didn't God create a world where there was no evil and no suffering? And listen to me, He did. He did. The Bible describes in the first couple of chapters, wave after wave after wave of God's creation. From land to plants to birds to fish to humans. Every piece of creation was good. And the Bible even says in Genesis 1.21 that God looked around at all that He made and He said, this is very good. This is perfect. This is holy. Just the way that I designed it. So you got to understand, all evil, all suffering, was the result of the choice of Adam and Eve. And the Bible says in Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the human race. And through Adam's sin, it also brought death. So, look, look, every human has been experiencing the effects of Adam's sin and also the entire creation has been experiencing it as well. Matter of fact, the Bible shows us the damaging, mysterious effect that happened to the physical universe when Adam made the choice of evil over holiness. And Romans 8.22 says that we, we know that all of creation, all of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And it's going to continue to groan in the pains of childbirth in the future if the Lord doesn't come back to get us. So this verse here explains the, the, um, uh, 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 the natural phenomenon that, that happens and it inflicts on people. So when Adam and Eve chose evil, God honored that choice. Nature was cursed. Genetic breakdown began. Diseases began. Pain and death began. It entered into the human experience. Natural disasters like tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, famines, diseases began to spring up. And these are called natural calamities. But a study has been done, and listen to me, 95% 
of suffering comes from what's called moral evil. Moral evil is when evil is inflicted from one person to another. Or from a group of people to another group of people. So watch this. When someone dies from a tornado, or someone dies from COVID-19, that's the natural evil. When somebody dies from a stab wound or a gunshot, that's moral evil. And again, I'm telling you, God did not create evil. It's us. It's our free will. Adam and Eve brought the potential for evil into our reality. And now on a daily basis, you and I, we get to pick. Do we make a choice to bring the potential for evil in our life? Or do we make the choice to bring the potential for holiness into our present day reality? Do we walk by the spirit or do we walk by the flesh? Do we make good decisions or bad decisions? So to answer number one, historically, suffering came into the world because of Adam's choice. And now today, because of people's daily choices, suffering continues in the world. Now here's the deal. How do we react to suffering? And I think this is the funniest of all because I've, I've seen it all over Facebook of how people are reacting to suffering. And the best place to look is the book of Job. Job shows us four people that react as Job cries out to God saying, Why is this happening to me? Just like many people across America are saying, Why is this happening? Matter of fact, read the book of Job. The book of Job was included in the Bible to help us through this time of suffering, to help us through this time of pain. But what's interesting is how people react. Many of you that have been around the church realm for a long time understand the first reaction. The first reaction was from his wife. He had lost his health. He has lost his wealth. He has lost his children. I mean, he is just miserable. And his wife looks at him and says, just put an end to your suffering. Put an end to your pain. We know the famous line in Scripture. She said, curse God and die. So you know the first reaction people are having? Bitterness and blame. Blaming the president. Blaming China. Some of you are blaming God. Bitterness and blame is the first reaction that comes out of us when we're near suffering or in suffering. And for us, we shouldn't act that way. I can understand it with Job's wife. She didn't have the full counsel of God like we did. She doesn't have John 16, where Jesus said, you know what, in this world you will have trouble. We're able to take that scripture and reconcile a good God with pain and suffering. She wasn't. I understand why she said that. But there's no reason for us to be bitter. There's no reason for us to divert blame to everybody else. But that's how she reacted. Now, there's three friends that come to him. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I mean, here's Job. He's lost everything. He's in pain and suffering. He's saying, why me? Why is this happening? And at first, they were comforting. But then, you know what? They're just like, we're sick and tired of it. We don't want to hear it anymore. And they bring their reaction. And when you look at Job's friends and how they reacted, you know what? You, you can leave going, wow, 
a lot of my friends are reacting the same way. Because they gave Job what a lot of people are giving you. Canned answers. What a lot of preachers are trying to get up and do. Giving you unthought through biblical jargon. What some of your Christian friends are doing. Giving you unthought through biblical jargon. That on the surface it seems good. It seems holy. It seems right. But in reality it's very unintelligent. Very unintelligent in the face of suffering when we're trying to understand why. So let's look at the first person that, or the second person that opened their mouth, which is Eliphaz. I'm not going to read that for you, but if you want to look it up, it's Job chapter 4, 12 through 17. You're welcome to read it yourself. But out of all of the answers, this is probably the craziest one. But it's the one that we get a lot. He brought the strangest. Eliphaz brings Job this spiritual, dreamy experience. I mean, put yourself in Job's position. You've lost everything. Everything you cherished just vanished and gone like that. What would you think of a friend that came up to you and started talking to you about a spiritual experience they had, about a dream that they had where a spirit glided past their face and just stood still? And we see this all the time. Here's the reaction. Is super spiritual Christians want to take this opportunity and spiritualize everything that's going on, have a spiritual reaction to everything that's going on, and we see this in times of suffering, either they're in it or near it. As church folks, you know this. You have a problem, somebody spiritualizes the problem with their deep theological explanation that they have, that they have acquired of all the years that they've read in their Bible. When in reality, they don't know why. They don't know why God allowed that suffering to happen in your life. They don't know why God allowed that cancer to come in your life. They don't know why God is allowing COVID to come or or why everything's being shut. They don't know. The only thing that Eliphaz cared about and the only thing your super spiritual friends care about is the eloquence of their biblical argument of how they can impress you with their intellect when they ignore the misery that you're going through when you ask the question, why? Eliphaz missed Job's need. Many people are missing your need because they're not addressing the pain And they're not dressing the suffering. Another voice came, Zophar. Zophar was the youngest one. (laughs) Just like all young people. Rude, crude, and unacceptable. I mean, he basically called uh, Job an idiot. He called Job a windbag. You can find it in Job 11, 12. Zophar did like a lot of young people will do. It's just, you know, get over it. God's ways are not your ways. They're higher than your thoughts. And is that really an answer? When we're going through this, God's ways are not your ways and His thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, guess what? The devil's ways were not Job's ways either. The devil's thoughts were not Job's thoughts either. Because at the end of the day, Job didn't want to just get over it. Job wanted to know, why am I going through it? So here's the next reaction. Face it head on. Faces head on, baby, and just get over it. That's the next reaction of people in suffering or near suffering. Another friend came, and this friend, you know, 
a little bit more intelligent, Bildad. You can find it in Job chapter 8, 8 through 10. And literally when you read it, I mean, it's kind of hard to question it. It's kind of hard because Bildad says, you know what, you need to listen to the voice of the past generation. Listen to the wisdom of the ages. Because after all, former generations have something to teach us in respect to suffering. I mean, we've had people that went through the depression. We've had people go through the 1917-1918 pandemic. And guess what? There's something wrong that's not easily identified in their answer. The real question is whether the words of the generation before us that have spoken some good things... Have they really provided an adequate answer as to why? Or have they just given us some jargon to help us get through it? Because the fourth reaction is the voice of the past that says just pray and God will get you through it all. He got us through it. And that's how people react in these times. And listen to me, all those reactions have probably happened to you. I've probably reacted in some of those ways. But after the four people responded to Job, Job it was still pondering, what is the reason? Go ahead and type right now in the comment, what is the reason? Because see, all of these answers tell you how to endure it, but they don't tell you why you're going through it. And inevitably, that's what we're pondering right now. And maybe you've seen some of these personalities. Maybe you've been the personality. Maybe it's comforting to you to know that people in your sphere of influence are no different than than back in Job's day. I mean, Job's wife was bitter. She blamed others. Eliphaz was the super spiritual Christian that over-spiritualized everything. Bildad was listening to the voice of the past. Just pray and God will get you through it. And Zophar was, hey, just get a ladder and get over it. Go at it head on. Listen to me. Here's the interesting thing. In 40 chapters, 40 chapters showing their reaction, God had enough. God had enough of the reactions and he steps in and he gives his own reaction to the question. And when God does, watch what God does. God rebukes the reactions for having the lack of compassion And rebukes the actions for not being very intelligent. Because God says what you're saying is the wrong message. You're giving it in the wrong time. And you're explaining it in the wrong way. See, when people are in pain, God never responds like people respond. God answered Job. But what God does is He comes in and He puts the question of why am I suffering, He puts it in perspective. And He puts it in God's perspective. And God began to answer Job. And watch this, when God opened His mouth, God challenged Job. God challenged Job to get at the heart of the matter. Watch what God said. In Job 38, 2-3, he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'll ask the questions and you'll answer me. 
Look how God comes in and talks. Look at that. Don't miss that. Because God steps in and he questions Job. In fact, read it. He raises 64 questions to Job. And after the 64 questions, Job was speechless. Job was speechless. Because don't don't miss this. What God wanted Job to realize is the same God who brought a pattern and a beauty out of this world, a God that fashioned a world out of absolute nothing, can bring a pattern and a beauty out of suffering. And that's what God's going to do in this situation. The same God that stepped out into gross darkness and said, let there be light, and He had a pattern for it. He's going to step in this situation and He's going to have a pattern for everything that everybody's going through. And God wanted Job and God wants you to realize that not only is He the creator of heaven and earth, but He's the designer of this world. And that's pretty important. A machine can create and spit out things, but there was a designer that had to create the plan to tell the machine, spit this out. He's not only the creator, he's the designer. And a designer, when I see designer, that means there is an intelligent behind God's design. There's an intelligence behind all of the suffering. And what God wants to remind us of today is that there is a mind and that there is a power infinitely greater than ours working in this suffering right now. So God kind of leaves Job to ponder. I'm the creator, and I'm the designer. And then in the next set of questions, he begins to show Job, not only am I the creator and the designer, but I am the revealer, and I am the comforter. And when he came as the comforter, and he came as the revealer, Job responded in 42, 5-6. Now don't miss this, this is so important. He says, my ears... Have heard of you. But now my eyes. Have seen you. And then look what he does. He says therefore I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. But don't miss that first part. My ears have heard of you. What can we learn from Job? There has to come a moment church. In your suffering. That you personally surrender to God. I'm talking about a point in your life during this time where the knowledge that you have of Him from hearing about Him Sunday after Sunday after Sunday from your pastor, it becomes something personal that now you truly trust God and you're truly committing to His will. Because don't miss this, a personal understanding of God is the only thing that brings transformed attitudes. And as a pastor, you can get frustrated because you want to see transformation. But I have learned that until somebody not only hears Him, but finally sees Him, which is a personal relationship, then and only then will that attitude get transformed. Because here's the reaction that I'm seeing too much of. Too many people want to go to too many other people to find answers. 
Let me run to the news. Let me run to Facebook. Let me run to see how everybody else is reacting. Let me run to this conspiracy theory and that conspiracy theory and post everything on Facebook just to slam people with information. They want answers from other people instead of having the privilege of approaching the throne of grace to hear God directly. Job did the same thing. There are times I find myself guilty of the same thing, running to people to see what they think. But Job finally realized that the most of his knowledge of God came through the thoughts of other people instead of the thoughts that he personally pursued himself in the presence of God. That's precisely what I think is going on. In this predicament, we're running to our friends. We're running to our colleagues. They have rich illusions of what other people have said. But what I'm finding is many people are bankrupt in their own personal knowledge of God. Is He waking us up, church? Because until pain is felt in a personal context, all the answers that one might get from a hurting person to another hurting person are going to fail. It's only when you can come to a personal recognition that God is not just the God of power in creation, but He is the God of presence in my pain and suffering and in my affliction. We have to go to Him in a personal and intimate way. And this brings me finally to the answer of why. Because see, once you begin to see the problem of pain from the perspective of God, not the perspective of your husband, not the perspective of your friend, not the perspective of the news media, only when you get it from the perspective of God can you truly find a real, whole answer. And God's answer to Job of why of his suffering. Watch this. It was not about suffering. It was about Job himself. And I know right now, church, that's not the answer you wanted. That's not the answer you tuned in for. Oh, you tuned in for me to get excited and preach you happy. But I'm coming to you today to be real. I've had enough of all this. Just like you've had enough all of it. I could have got on here and preached you happy, 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 happy. You'd have been shouting and dancing in your living room. But I come to bring you the truth. When God speaks, it's about you. It's about getting His perspective about you. And after God spoke, Job actually liked the answer. And we should like the answer too. Job says, surely... I spoke of things that I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. He he began to understand those wonderful things because now he's in intimate relationship. And what he does again, look at there, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. So I'm challenging you, like Job, we have to come to a point in this shutdown that you personally cry out to God. You cry out to God because it's only in Him, not in your friends, not in your pastor, not in your church. It's in Him that you find comfort. It is in Him that you discover that God is God and you are not. That's a revelation for you. 
It's here that you realize that God does have a design. He can bring something out of this suffering. Which leads me to the answer of the question why that Jesus said in Matthew 5.45. He said God will cause the sun to shine on the believer and the non-believer. God will cause the rain to fall on the believer and non-believer. What God was telling us is nobody is immune to sunshine and nobody is immune to the rain. Which leads me to the point is the thing about suffering is nobody's immune to it right now. And I know that ain't great news. But it's not bad news either. It's all about your perspective. Because when you see that it rains on everybody, it means the hardship that I'm facing right now I take comfort that God's not singling me out. I take comfort that there's not cruel and unusual punishment just on Kylie Calloway. But here's something that can help us. However bad the situation is now, or even how bad the situation will get. And there looks like there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. All that we've had to go through is not senseless. Because God is the designer. Something is going to come out Of this suffering. But what I have to do in the middle of this. Is I have to find out the reason for my suffering. I have to make it personal. Between me and God. So as Melissa comes. This is not a time to tune me out. And go get a a cup of coffee. This is a time where I get serious. Because I want to show you four reasons. Why there's suffering right now. And don't miss this. I'm telling you, this is the reason why right now for the church across America, for men in the pulpit across America, for for non-Christians and Christians alike, is he's using this time for reasons why there is suffering. God uses it to direct us. You know, donkeys are, are great, useful animals. They can carry loads of stuff for miles and miles and miles. But that donkey can be stubborn. When that donkey sets its mind to it, it ain't moving. Until you take something and whoop its backside. And I think God knows that humans and donkeys are a lot alike. That sometimes God has got to take that proverbial two by four and knock us upside the head. Oh, you don't believe me? Proverbs 30, 20 says sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Is there anything you've changed about you during this time? I would say, are you still the same old crotchety person you've always been? Just being real with you. How's he directing you? God uses this time to inspect us. Somebody once said, I don't even know who it is. He said, people are like tea bags. Just dip them in hot water and you'll find out what comes out. We've been dipped in hot water. There's some things I see on Facebook. I don't like what's coming out of people. I like what James says. James chapter 1, 2, and 3 says, when you face troubles of many kinds, it says you should be full of joy. Are you full of joy? Are you full of bitterness? Are you full of hate? Are you full of anger? Are you full of frustration? Because he says what comes out. You know, this trouble tests your faith. 
But it should be giving you patience. It should be building your character. Examine yourself. Inspect yourself. What's coming out of you? What's coming out of you? The third thing he uses is God uses these times to correct us. Some lessons can only be learned through pain and failure. Some of you that are raising teens right now, you know what I'm talking about. Adult children that you're raising, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes i got to get to their lowest moment to finally be corrected. You remember when mom and dad said, don't touch the hot stove. What did you do? You touched it. And guess what you learned? Ouch. It burns. Let me tell you something. David went through a painful time in his life. But look at what he said in Psalm 119. It was the best thing that could have happened to me because it taught me to pay attention to your law. Maybe this is the best thing that could have happened to the church of America because it tuned us into the word. It tuned us into our commitment to Him. It began to expose what was coming out of us. He uses it to correct us. And then finally, thank the Lord. He uses it to perfect us. Because when we respond correctly to the trials that God brings, it should be character builders. That's what Romans 5, 3, and 4 says. We can rejoice when we run into problems. Why? Because it helps build patience. Patience brings strength. Trials build character. Helps us to trust in God. It strengthens our faith. It makes us strong. It makes us steady. And I close with this. And I'm going to be real with you. Because for me, I have found That if I can look at my situation going, okay, God, are you directing me? Are you inspecting me? Are you correcting me in order to perfect me? It makes it a little bit more easy to experience the suffering I'm in. Somehow, for me, it makes the pain a little bit more bearable. But I'm going to be honest with you. That understanding generally doesn't come until the situation is over. Because when I'm in it, I'm too numb. When I'm in it, I'm too close to it. When I'm in it, I have those reactions. I get frustrated. I can blame others. But when I put it in God's perspective to see what He's doing in me, Usually I discover it after I've endured it and come to the other side of it. Church, we're living in this moment of time together. And it's your moment. It's your moment. It's my moment. There's sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, this moment is never going to end. We'll never go back to normal. It'll never be the same. But here's what I found. When I'm in the moment... If I judge God, if I judge my leaders, or if I judge you, or if I judge other people, you know what that shows about me? That I'm short-sighted, I'm unintelligent, and I'm being unfair. Because listen to me, some of you have walked into the middle of a movie, 
My wife does it all the time. The scene is engaging. And she'll stand there and she'll watch it for a few minutes. And she'll get all the kids upset because she starts talking in the middle of the movie. Well, why are they doing that? How did that happen to them? How did they get here? And we're like, you should have watched the movie with us. But see, she came in on the middle. <clears throat> she didn't have any context. So the movie made no sense. And I'm telling you right now, right here on planet Earth, we're in the middle of a three-act play. Act one. God created the world perfectly, holy, and uh, uh, just completely without corruption. One man made a choice. And he brought corruption in. Act two. All of a sudden now, the corruption is being played out. Pain and suffering is happening. And it's trying to be repaired. How? Because of Jesus. Because when we make the commitment to Jesus as true disciples of God, every day we try to make that holy choice. We make that good choice. It's a group of the population that, you know what, not going to go crazy and stab somebody and kill somebody and cuss somebody out and hurt them and, and, and beat them. We make those holy choices. So with Jesus Christ, he's trying to repair that corruption. But then finally, in Acts 3, corruption comes to an end. The new heavens and the new earth come. And it's back to the perfected state in which he desired it to be. But right now we are in act two. And for us to judge God, our leaders, or anybody else in this brief glimpse of time, judging this moment right now, and judging anyone in this play right now, is short-sighted, unintelligent, and unfair. Because according to the Bible, which holds the script to the play that we're in, thank God, evil and suffering are only temporary. Because a day is coming when suffering will be wiped away and evil will be no more. So when calamity strikes like it has, I know you want an explanation and I know you want comfort because I felt the same way. But God's explanation to Job and God's explanation to the world right now is he said, Job, I don't owe you an explanation. And he don't owe you one either. And he don't owe me one either. And he don't owe the world right now one either. Because if he stepped in and he explained it all, 99% of the explanation would be over your head. I love what Philip Yancey said. Maybe God sometimes keeps us in the dark about why. Not so much because He wants to keep us in the dark, but because He knows we're incapable of absorbing so much light. I leave you with this one simple thought. The problem that we're in right now, it can either defeat you or it can either develop you. Which do you choose? 
to be defeated or to be developed. So maybe we've been asking the wrong question. Maybe the question shouldn't be, God, why is there suffering in the world? Maybe the question should be, God, how do I respond to the suffering that's in the world? Are you using this time to direct me, inspect me, correct me, to only perfect me? And that's the way we should be responding to this in a God perspective, God-honoring way. If you enjoyed this message today, would you comment something? If you're listening to the sound of my voice and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want one today, all you got to do is believe that He died on the cross for you. Believe that He was buried in that grave. Believe God rose Him again for the sinless life that He led. That He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. If you're listening to the sound of my voice and, and you're not a believer, you know what? You may be bitter at God. You may be blaming God. But from a God perspective, we have no right. And the only way to get a God perspective is to give your life to Him. To begin to understand what's taking place. So if that's you, would you just comment right now, I give my life to Jesus. I'm going to be praying for you. I'll look through that Facebook page. But I want you to pray this prayer right now. Everybody listening to the sound of my voice. God, come into my life. Give me a clean heart. Give me a pure spirit. I accept you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I choose you this day to be the Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer, God says you're now a Christian. If you don't have a church, join us online. And when we open up, join us here. But look, Carrie and I are praying for you. I hope this changed your perspective. I hope it shifted some things in you. I feel it right now. I, I know this was intense today. I planned it that way. Because God spoke to me and I wanted to speak to you. But I feel like right now, somebody listening, it's changed your perspective. It's changed the way that you're seeing this. You're going to walk out of this service today with joy, with peace, with patience, and with an understanding like none other. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing a song. And this is a perfect song to end this service. Stay with us. If you haven't given, give online. We appreciate what you're doing for the church and keeping us alive and well. But let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, are you inspecting us, correcting us, directing us, or perfecting us? If we can find that reason in this suffering, we have done it in a God-honoring way. Throughout our week, may we examine our reaction to other people. May it not be the reaction of others. Because may we wake up every day as we go through this and we choose holiness over evil. We choose good over bad. We choose to walk in the Spirit than to walk in the flesh. Bless your people. Let your face shine upon them. Let your blood cover them and protect them.